All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on the No Really Everything's Fine podcast, the podcast for proposal people by proposal people. We are talking sales enablement today. And Steph White, who's joining us, has decided that we ought to be coming to you from a cold, dark Canadian winter with a minus 40 degrees uh, winter weather. So we're all I'm sure all of our European colleagues are absolutely thrilled to get this cold weather on board per Nora's comment earlier today. But that's where No Really Everything's Fine is joining you from today. And I am Catherine Bennett, co-founder of, of Outlaw Proposals and also of Proposal Industry Experts. And I, I'm happy to kick it over to our other experts to get an idea of who we have talking on the show today. So Nora, kick us off. Okay. So I'm Nora Fox. I've been in proposal management for about five years. Uh, currently, I work for a Shipley Associates on one of on an account of theirs. It's a, a Fortune 50 software company. And today I learned that at minus 40, your eyeballs can freeze. So how exciting. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Good old Canucks. Like, I mean, who can survive anything but like Canadian? We can. It is what it is. We've been through it all. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Nicole Robinson, aka the RTC. And I've been in proposal management since 2007. And I am currently the sales enablement manager for a global organization. And that happens to be in cybersecurity. Very cool. Um, well, leave it to the Canadian in the room to talk about weather with North Americans. And we are choosing minus 40 um, because that is the crossover point. So it doesn't matter if you're speaking Fahrenheit or Celsius, minus 40 is eyeballs freezing. Um, for those of you in Europe, might be lovely right about now, um, but it is the point at which your car no longer starts. So Another fun fact for those who haven't experienced it before, um, but happy to be here today. I am Stephanie White. I'm Director of Revenue Enablement uh, at a sales response software company. Um, and I have been in various sales roles for upside of 15 years, uh, both as a seller, as a sales leader, and then transitioning into sales and revenue enablement and operations five, six years ago. So very excited to talk about the RFP process and what that means, um, Nicole, as it relates to your team and, and how we can work with the enablement function in RFPs. So it's, uh, this is how we'd like to kick off today, Steph, is, is that there's this perennial question. Nora is familiar with this. Nicole's familiar with this. I'm sure you are as well. Where do we put the RFP team? Uh, marketing, I've seen, it, I've seen it in marketing. I've seen it in strategic alliances and partnerships. I've seen it directly in sales. I've seen it in sales ops. I've even seen it in finance. So so it's it's a hot topic. It's ripe for debate. And I'd love to hear your perspective about why sales enablement makes sense as a location for the for the hub of proposals within a, specifically a tech organization, but maybe even if that makes sense outside of that industry. Yeah, um, I'm happy to jump in, Nicole, if you're okay if I go in here. Perfect. All right. Um, so my campaign uh, for proposal management, living and sales enablement or revenue enablement is really multifold. But when we think about sales and revenue enablement being responsible for the entire customer journey and how we can facilitate not only getting that net new business, but also retaining it and making sure that we are staying aligned with our customers all the way through their life cycle. Response management is a natural fit when you're going after new business. Often that's coming from your AEs, not always, but often. And so having the alignment of 
proposal response living in enablement, it's a natural relationship. We're already there. We're already in the room. We're already at the table. When you do have your customers progressing through the journey and they have security questionnaires, guess what? You already have your friendly face within the same group. And when your contract's coming up to renewal or you are going through ISO uh, audits, again, it's right there. And so having the team all together really means that it's one conversation. It's not, oh, hey, I'll go tag this person or, oh, I'll go get this data. You're there. So there's support across the board. Um, you know, when we think about the sales process, and this is something that we've been spinning up in the last couple of months, what I've found really interesting is having seen it, and Catherine, I kind of balked when you said finance, having seen it in solutions, having seen it in sales, having it in enablement is the easiest way I've ever done it. It's really interesting because so much of what we do is listening and watching and training people on how to be more effective. And in essence, that's so much what you want to do when you iterate on your proposal responses and your process. Yeah, I think it's really important to realize that as proposal people, we are heavily involved in training sales folks, especially when it comes to comes to things like discovery and capture and what are you asking on the front end about about these customers so that we really understand how to dial that process in. Uh, you know, I see a lot of those. I see a lot of those conversations that are severely lacking because salespeople can't get close enough to the proposal process to really be able to drive those wins home. Um, and so, so I think this 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 approach of saying, you know, how do we make sure that those best practices practices are getting into our salespeople's hands really makes a big difference. And I'd, I'd kind of like to open that up to the group here, if that's the, if that's your experience as well, or, you know, what do we kind of think about that? So this conversation is happening at such a peak time for me. Um, I can't even, I wish I could spill all the tea, <laughs> but I can't. So <laughs> let me ask, right, Steph? I mean, sis, we're both in Toronto. Let's chat. <laughs> I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna coffee your cocktail or something next week. A hundred percent. So what I would like to know is if you had to convince your CRO that proposal management and sales enablement need to be simpatico, what are the three things that you would say? Um, to drive that decision home. Like if you if you had to convince them and you're like, these are my three data points, these are my three reasons why this these teams need to be together, what would those be? Okay, this is so good. So are we assuming that it's an existing function or is it net new function to the business? Let's say that the proposal function is existing and the enablement side is being grown. Okay. Well, I mean, if you've already got the function that's there, let's just say theoretically, right? I would start to look into what are your inefficiencies today? So what's happening in your process? What money is being left on the table? And where are you losing money in terms of time spent through friction points or gaps? Um, and that can take a lot of different forms. Place number one I'd go to is like, what is the engagement methodology today? So what is your process Assuming that you have a lot of proposals starting from AEs, how is it even getting to the proposal manager? An interesting thing that I've seen is you can still have AEs spending two, three, four hours total time engaging with an external project team. 
So if you can start to quantify that internally, then part of your value prop to your CRO becomes based on last month's estimate alone, we think we could actually reduce seller's time being spent on these proposals by an average of two hours per proposal. Let's say we did 20 last week or 20 last month. That's 40 hours of seller time generating revenue. And when you start to be able to tie the cost of seller's time through those inefficiencies, whether they're process gaps or just delays in terms of how people are communicating, that gives you an awesome data point to help make the argument for benefit of moving it in. The other place that I go to, Nicole, is like, what are you leaving on the table in terms of learnings? So if proposal lives in its own entity, how often are you circulating that feedback and those learnings back? When you're doing postmortems, are they once a month? Are they once a week? What is that feedback loop between sales and your proposal response team? Because I can tell you when it lives in the enablement function, and by the way, I should caveat that the minute you start talking about proposal management or the whole customer lifecycle, if you are in sales enablement, reframe your job description to revenue enablement. Um, That'll do a number of things for you, not least of which will give you a louder voice in more conversations. It will empower you to speak to revenue, not right. just in business sales. That's, that. I'm listening to this episode. So for you guys who are out here listening to the episode, I am here having the conversation with Steph and Nora and Catherine, and I'm gonna listen to this episode. I'm going to take notes. I just needed to put that out there. <laughs> Thank you. That was fantastic. And when I'm done, I'm also sending this episode to my leadership. I said it. I said it. Okay. I said it. So I, I want to walk it back for a minute, actually. Um, I've only worked in places where I've rolled up to sales. I've rolled up to marketing. Uh, each had its benefits and each had its uh, not so benefits, if you will. Um, so and Catherine, I don't know if you, because you've worked for more companies than I have total, right? Have you ever seen on the American side uh, or the, the U.S. side, I should say, because we're all American, right? North America. Um, right. So in the U.S., have you ever seen sales enablement positions in companies, right? Because that's not mm -hmm. something I'm familiar with. Okay. I was just yeah. wondering if it was like a U.S., Canada kind of like term thing. So that being I think the it's case. A role, Nora, I think it's, role, it's a role specific to tech. We Got don't it. see okay. it very often anywhere else. Yeah. Got it. So that's what I was wondering. So for people who don't work in tech or there is no sales enablement or they've only seen sales or marketing, can you just sort of talk about what is sales enablement? What makes it different from sales? What makes it different from marketing to give people like me who don't know what that is sort of a, a better idea and understanding? Yeah, Steph, Steph. Yeah, or definitely Steph. Who, who wants to I go? Was, I was going to say so, Okay, so really quickly, let me say this. I came into contact with this terminology at a certain software response company's conference <laughs> for the first time a few years ago. That's when I was introduced to it. And one of the keynote speakers there actually happened to have written a book called Sales Enablement Mastery. And that's when I was introduced to the term. And when I dug into it, I was like, okay. I feel like this is something I'm doing, <laughs> but I didn't have like, often I have a thought, a feeling, a sense, and I communicate it a certain way, but it's not necessarily like 
language. You know what I mean? It's just a sense that this is the way to do it. And a lot of that is based off of experience. So I, I'm quantifying it because I've seen it work or fail based on how we've delivered the process, right? Or that content or whatever it happens to be. And just like everyone else, fundamentally, I've always rolled up to sales. Um, very, I've actually, I've never rolled into marketing. I've always worked um, with marketing going down the same street at the same time, at the same speed. And we, I use them, they use me. And I do that intentionally because my education is in marketing, which has, like I said in the last episode, it fueled, um, it fuels my ability to be a proposal manager has greatly helped me um, to understand the job and the business and from that and develop my business acumen. But from an enablement side, this is a, it's a brand new thing. And so um, when I look at it from this sense that Steph is going to give you guys a full actual, uh, what's the word? Definition Excellent. of what it is. Um, but I'm just letting you guys know that this is a new thing for even myself. So I'm, I'm learning it and I'm looking at what is, what parts I can apply, what I can take, what is not going to work. And it, it definitely has to be customized to your organization, but there is a, a space for it. Um, I would almost say everywhere because there's certain aspects that are happening. They just may not have all been pulled into what we call sales enablement. But there are aspects of it happening in multiple teams in multiple functions. So, Steph, give the people a like a breakdown of what uh, sales enablement would be, and then how it differs from sales and how it differs differs from marketing. Yeah, so a hundred percent. I would say one of the interesting things that we talk about in a lot of our sales and revenue enablement communities is like there's no specific transferable to every, even within tech companies, sales enablement looks a little bit different everywhere. So there are, you know, some people lovingly refer to three generations of sales enablement have happened already. Um, and um, there's a great book on it. Um, Roderick Jefferson wrote it uh, as part of Sales Enablement Pro. And he talks about, you know, there was kind of that early iteration 20 plus years ago. And that is when people were actually in the field coaching. So it wasn't called sales enablement back then, but it was one-on-one -on -one coaching. Talk to me about what you need. What collateral don't you have that you need when you're having these conversations? And it was all very much point in time. And then as that evolved, you know, the 2000s tech started happening. And then all of a sudden the sales tactic was FOMO, right? Everything you were hearing in sales conversations was like, well, if you don't have this, you won't be able to do the thing like everyone else can do the thing. Thankfully, that has transitioned to you'll be able to do your things better through engaging with this product or service. And so sales enablement has evolved in the last five to 10 years to be much more strategic and forward looking. Now, what the heck isn't sales enablement? It, honestly, it depends, um, but it is usually some mix of training and training can be onboarding. It can be supplemental training and that depends on the size of the org. Um, sales enablement often, but not always, depending on if there's revenue operations, uh, will own the sales process. So, hey, what should you be saying? What should you not be doing at different stages of the sales cycle? Um, the tech stack, may or may not be sales enablement. And that can be a job in and of itself. You can have one person whose job it is to run the CRM and all your marketing tools. Um, and then it is the part that I love is the bigger picture stuff. 
So when we think of sales enablement as not just point in time training or tactical support, it's how do we make sure that we're interviewing and hiring the right people to sales roles? How do we make sure that we're helping them grow their careers? And what does that look like? And how do we collaborate? Um, so it can be a lot, and I've given you a lot, but the short answer, Nora, is sales people directly drive revenue. They are measured on the revenue that they bring into the business. Mm -hmm. Marketing is brand exposure. It is how you are positioning to the market. Um, and sales enablement, I like to think of it as the trampoline or the spider web between all the other departments. So there are often times where sellers will need something that doesn't already exist. Maybe their manager realizes it two or three months later, but the manager is busy and the manager is chasing the number. Sales enablement needs to be in there and in touch with what sellers need and analyzing the data to be able to go to proactively say to marketing, like, hey, you may not have realized this, but I'm noticing a trend in the questions that our customers are starting to ask across different teams. I'm noticing this shift in the market. How can we better work with product to tweak some of our features? How do we work with customer retention so that we can set better expectations during the sales process so people understand what it will mean when they're a live customer with us? Um, we're really the glue. Um, my leader recently referred to us as the heartbeat, which I loved. Um, and of course, the key is there. Nobody notices the heart working well when it's working well. But when it stops or it becomes a problem, that's when you notice how critical sales enablement is for your organization to stay healthy. Is Thank that you. That's a, that is a fantastic explanation. I'll tell you, that resonates with me because I've done those things, just not with a, with a name or a title. I didn't know what it was called. And I'll lay you odds. There's a lot of people who are going to listen to this episode and go, wait a minute, I'm already doing that. I didn't know I was doing sales enablement. So thank you. That was fantastic. Yeah, there are a lot of risks when we think about putting proposals specifically di like directly in the sales in the sales department. In my experience, having done this, and I'm sure that there's a lot of like we'll 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 open this up in just a second to, to have that hot and spicy debate. Um, but why it why it has been challenging for me is because the salespeople are judged and measured on quotas, and it's really difficult for us to qualify leads as proposal people when we're that close to the sales department. It doesn't mean that it's wrong in every instance. It just means that you've got to really be thoughtful about how that works. And I think sales enablement is a little bit more naturally positioned to be like the support, the, the scaffolding upon which your sales process is built. And therefore, it makes it just makes a little bit more sense to have that function housed in that in that in that department. Um, Steph, I know that you're building your team. I know that you're really intentionally working towards expanding uh, the function. I'm curious about I'm curious about the best practices that you might be able to give us as a sales enablement leader. If somebody's looking to bring on proposal people into the fold, uh, what what kind of pitfalls do you think they could avoid, or what really spectacular best practices can you give to somebody who might be in that position? Oh gosh, this could be a whole like talk in and of itself. Um, I would say for any leader who is in enablement today and is looking to bring in proposal management as a net new function, do yourself, your sellers and your proposal manager a favor and be very deliberate with your gating that you have for that individual. So your metrics, and this is going to depend whether you already have a system in play or not, but Really, the temptation is like, oh, we have this shiny new resource that can do all the things for our sellers. Start throwing, sink or swim. I hate sink or swim. It's a horrible thing to do to people. 
It is traumatizing. Even when you manage to swim, you're traumatized. It's terrible. Um, and so it's the very intentional month one. Listen, your new proposal manager, your core goal for the month is to get ingrained with product, to understand what we're all about, what we can do and what we can't do, and understand the sales process for what it means for our customers. Literally, your only job in month one, make sure you get tight on those two things. You are not touching an RFP in your first month because when you live in an enablement, your job needs to be to be the eyes and ears for the greater organization. Sellers will qualify, and I say this having been a seller myself, carrying quota, they will qualify proposals and whether it makes sense to go forward based on their own time and their own quota. It is not in their purview to know what the rest of the business is doing. It becomes your role in enablement to be able to take a step back and say, is this specific opportunity in the best interest of the wider team and the greater business? And maybe it is, in which case you rally and you pull more resources towards it, but maybe it's not. Um, and so having the two levels of qualification that live in the revenue org and are paid on the overall attainment of revenue for the business, you're going in the same direction. Nobody's going to question you as a proposal manager when you're also incentivized on revenue for the business. When you say, mm, I don't think this is the best use of our time. Here's why. I really think we should double down on this opportunity instead. Greater likelihood of success, better SME availability, et cetera. Um, Catherine, you're smiling. Tell me why. It's almost like go, no, go is also a structural, structural function instead of just a form that we fill out. It's almost like who owns the go, no, go has mm -hmm. an impact on whether or not implementing that process is successful. And I had never connected the fact that there was a structural aspect to qualifying bids. Nora is also, Nora's face is also delighted because go, no, go. If we're going to talk about like the, the single most important aspect of proposal management in my perspective today, it is qualifying bids unequivocally it's been that, that's 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 the the drum i will beat until my hand falls off it's like 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 we have to qualify and i had like i said i had just never put together the fact that that changing the location of that decision could actually d impact the effectiveness of it so what a very profound statement i think if anybody if y'all take anything away from this podcast today that's that's a, a revolutionary nugget of wisdom i also feel like when you're in enablement and you're able to add value to the organization by talking about market trends, talking about the questions that you're seeing coming across, talking about the collateral that is being requested, for one thing that, and I can speak to this like quite succinctly because that's exactly where I'm at right now. I just literally developed a report, had a whole meeting with my CPO um, and my leadership team about what we, my team, is seeing coming across the table from our customers and through our account executives by these proposal requests. And we're using that information to try and inform our go-to-market strategy and try to inform how we, like, what collateral we need to, we need to develop, what kind of reporting metrics we need to extract, because we are in a very, uh, we're in a new state right now. We are a, a new thing because we just had a merger. So as we are developing um, this relationship and creating the value for uh, the rest of the organization outside of just building and responding to proposals, which our whole new side of our company, they didn't have that function. 
So when they discovered that there was an entire team dedicated to that, they were, I've actually had sales reps on calls, kickoffs be like, I, I can't even, I don't even know what to do with myself. This is the greatest thing ever. You guys are amazing. Like literally expounding, extolling our virtue, virtue, virtue. We, however, were like heart pounding, sweat, flop, sweat, like, oh no, they're going to tell everybody. <laughs> they're going to tell people. And then the more people, there's going to be more and more people. <laughs> so it was great. It was exciting. But at the same time, we were so stressed. We were like, oh my God, they like us. Oh no. <laughs> they really like us. You know what? <laughs> like you hit on a nugget there though. When you think about what you can gain from looking at multiple different sources for proposals, when you're in enablement, you can see what's happening with the market. You can proactively pull out those insights and share it cross-functionally, but you can also start to see, and if you use a tool, you can start to see where the gaps are outside of the sales organization for training and knowledge too. And that is when you start getting more power and enablement in terms of getting a louder voice and a stronger seat at the table, because then you've befriended the person um, in you know engineering or whatever it is, because you've been able to say, hey, I'm not sure if you realized, here's a gap that I've found and here's what the impact is. Here's how I think you can fix it. I mean, how golden would that be for all of us if someone could come to us with a problem and a solution that they found for our team we don't even know about that can help revenue? Especially because it's informed by the customer. That's like, whenever I can have that conversation and I'm like, guys, what I'm seeing, for one thing, I'll just use a, a, a really quick example, case studies. So there was a time when it would be asked for case studies and then there was a time a long time when it wasn't really a thing and now we have come full circle and we're back and i'm having you know proposals where the customer is asking for a case study and we have to you know talk about how we solved the problem what was the opportunity what it, tell me a little bit about how you guys did this it's almost a qualitative but written proof uh that we're good at what we do right and so just today i had a conversation with marketing about a case study that I literally wrote seven years ago, I think six, probably my first year at the company. And I'm, I said in an email, I'm like, okay, you know, here's one that I've used. I've repurposed. It's a current customer. Um, I wrote it years ago. And I said, I kind of cringe because my writing style has changed so much <laughs> and has really developed. But um, here is a basis of where we can start because this is something that we're going to be seeing. And one, it came two ways. So I've been seeing it coming from the customer in proposal, but also we had a sales manager come and say, so we're getting this request. So it literally we met in the middle. And the timing was, was perfect because it was right on the tip of my tongue to say, guys, to raise my hand and say, hey, uh, we need to start developing more of these across industries, I mean, across service lines so that we have this, this collateral available to use for future reference. And we don't have to constantly be worrying like, oh my God, where, where do I go get this? Where do I go get that? So it's like literally the, the sweetest thing for me is when it's informed by the customer. I love that. So we are racing up on time here. I do wanna open it up for final comments about how sales enablement plays a role in our proposal in our proposal function. Steph and Nora, any, any closing thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I just, I love that now I can say I know what sales enablement is and that I've done it. 
I think that that's going to be a big thing. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're having to develop, you know, end of year reporting, right? If you're reporting out an ROI, if you're reporting on gaps, this is how much we walked away from this year. Um, if you're updating, I think even if you're updating, like I've done uh, templates off of industry trends when you're doing FOIA requests and things like that, you're, you're doing it, you're living it and you can work revenue enablement, right? Um, into your daily conversations with people, you know, that you interact with day to day. So I, I just love that that piece of it that now I know that there's a name for something that I've done before. So thank you, Steph and Nicole for uh, opening my eyes. <laughs> well, I would say it's amazing how many people have done components of, right? And sometimes just putting a label on it means that you can empower yourself to formalize it and do the darn thing. Um, my last kind of comment on proposal management with enablement would be, and I actually had this conversation earlier today, the number of proposal managers that I've heard put their hand up and say, I can't get support for additional headcount or an additional platform, like a response tool. I can't get it. Um, nobody's giving me money. They see me as being a cost center. When you live in enablement, you have your direct coworkers are the people who are charged with finding data insights on where revenue is coming from, where you can get more revenue, how you can optimize the sales process. And so you have that data literally virtually beside you to make your case to say, if you can invest X in this for me, here's why that I can put out for you. And here's how that fits in the bigger picture. That's huge. Um, and that's huge for both teams. And at the end of the day, drives more revenue. So that's just a win across the board from my perspective. Really, really thoughtful commentary from some highly skilled experts in the sales and revenue enablement space today. Steph, before we go, how do folks get a hold of you if they'd like to connect with you about these topics? Yeah, so find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm there. You can find me uh, if you are in proposal industry experts. Um, if you are joining that community as of next week, we're live, right, Catherine? Uh, you can Enjoy find me in there as well. But I am on LinkedIn every day, multiple times a day. So feel free to connect with me there at Stephanie White. Um, and I look forward to speaking with anyone who has questions and happy to help. Wonderful. That's very kind of you to extend that offer. So today, what did we learn from our conversation with Steph? We learned that response management is a function of the customer relationship and helps to develop the customer lifecycle. We learned a little bit about how to create a feedback loop and reduce inefficiencies and friction in our process. And we also learned that getting a seat at the revenue table might actually be a function of where your organization puts the proposal management team. Really valuable insights for us today. Please be sure to pay attention to No Really Everything's Fine on LinkedIn. We just launched our LinkedIn page a few months ago. We've already got a bunch of followers. Come over there, hang out with the crew. We've got some really great, uh, some really great information going on over there. Um, our Podbean account and our Amazon, Apple. You can find us on any podcasting platform if you look for No really everything's fine and keep an eye out for that flaming dumpster and then finally we are up for a signal award in november so if you would please keep an eye out for that if we say to vote for us help us get farther because we are so excited to actually have been nominated for an award just a couple months after getting started so thank you again we are happy to stay warm in this frigid canadian winter that we are simulating in the no really everything's fine studio today put on your coats make sure your eyeballs don't freeze and we will see you next time thanks everyone Thank <laughs> you.